0: Um, But I remember saying to Andy, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you, Andy. Um, And I told him, you're going to be a way better leader than me. I know it. Like, I'm convinced. And someday, I'm going to work for you. And so I'm back. I I get to work uh, with Andy, and I get to work for Andy. Um, But mostly, I get to work for you guys. And uh, that makes me so happy to do that. We're so excited to be here. Um, this is the church we wanted to be at. This is the church. I haven't been in church for a long time, you guys. Like, longer than all you've been alive. And uh, this is my favorite version of the church. It's the, it's the church that feels to me most like the Acts 2 church. We talk about that a lot. Um, but anyway, I'm happy to be back. Um, and the thing that, um, just so you know, the thing that I want to do more than anything else is help you follow Jesus. There's nothing more important to me than that. If I can help you become more like Jesus, then, then I feel like I, I've accomplished accomplished uh, God's assignment for me. So you guys, you know we're on an Advent series now, and the one thing that I'm not going to do this morning is get all workshoppy on you, okay? Um, and what I mean by that is that... Um, all I really want to do is hold up a. I want to hold up a, a picture this morning, and, and I want to kind of do that literally. Um, if you still have your phones, you don't have to go there now, uh, but you're going to need to get back to that worship page, the lyrics uh, later on. So I just want to give you that heads up. But I I want to hold up a picture today, and what I want to do is I want to frame what is true of our everlasting Father. Um, I I love solutions. I love next steps, I love systems, I love mechanisms, and sometimes, you guys, um, next steps are, are something that you do, and sometimes next steps are something that you do in you. Well, today what we're going to talk about is something that you do in you. So you guys know we're, we're in an Advent series about a child, about a son who has been given to us, and... This child is Jesus, and we've been given different names that describe who he is. And these are metaphors that essentially what they do is they help us understand God. So Andy talked about two of the names so far. Um, He talked about Wonderful Counselor, and he also talked about Prince of Peace. The name that we're going to look at today is Everlasting Father. And let me just read this to you again real quick. It's kind of our proof text. Uh, for this this whole series, it's Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, and it goes like this: For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so, like a little side note, you you might be wondering. Um, why is Jesus called Everlasting Father? In other words, why are we calling the Son Father? And, and we could talk a lot about that, but the bottom line is it's just a metaphor, you guys. That's all it is. It's just another way for us to understand um, who Jesus is. Um, but if you want to know who God is, God the Father, then the best way you can know that is by looking at the Son, literally. Um, in, in John chapter 10, verse 30, um, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. In a few chapters later, John 14, 9, um, Jesus says, um, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Now, I want to I wanna share, uh, I want to tell you a, a true Father story, Okay. And uh, this is uh, actually one of my least shining moments as a dad, but I, th- I think it's really helpful for what we're going to look at a little bit later. Um, it happened years ago um, when my son Timmy was five years old. Um, he's a grown man now, lives and works in, in L.A. He's right there. Didn't know he was going to be here this morning. So he, you can fact check this story with him later, okay? Um, but it happened when he was five years old, and, and during at the time – um, it was just one of the busiest ministry seasons of my life, and um, I mean, I was exhausted. I, I was living on fumes. It, it kind of felt like I was going to run out of gas, like at any moment, and one night, uh, Timmy had a really bad dream, and he got up in the middle of the night, like two in the morning, three in the morning, and uh, maybe you can relate to this. I, I heard him open his door and I heard him walk into our bedroom and to preempt what I knew what was coming, um, I said, Timmy, turn around, get back in your room, you're not getting in our bed. Can anybody relate to that? Yeah, we got some parents in the house. You're not getting in my bed. And what Timmy began to do was plead with me and he started to cry. So he's trying to convince me uh, that it's, uh, it's good and right for him to, to get into our bed. He started to, he started to cry and, and, and was really scared. You know, you guys, in all honesty, I did not care. I didn't care. So just like total moment of honesty, I'm confessing my sin right now. I didn't care. I really, really needed to sleep. And so here's what I said. I said, Timmy, you're scared, fear me because if I get up, you won't like what's coming. And he took me seriously, he knew I was serious, and he turned around and he went back into his room, shut his door, and I could hear him crying inside his bedroom. And I thought to myself, what kind of mother will not get out of bed and go and comfort her son? What kind of mother does that? Okay, that's not what I thought. But I did think, I I came to my senses like in a second and I just thought, what am I doing? Like what's really important here? And so I got up and I went into his room and I got into his bed with him. And while we were laying there, I said, Timmy, I'm so sorry for being a jerk. I'm so sorry for having such a bad attitude. And he just said, Dad, forgive you for being a jerk. And then uh, he went to sleep. And you guys, the reason that I got up that night is that I couldn't live with the thought of Timmy needing a daddy and not having one. I've got three adult sons. They're all your age. And even today, as a father, I can't stand the thought of my son's needing a father and not having one. And that's the big idea this morning, too. I, I hope you'll carry that with you um, when you leave. Jesus couldn't live with the thought of you needing a heavenly father and not having one. In 2 Corinthians 6.18, um, we get a glimpse at the heart of God, and, and Paul is quoting 2 Samuel. It's not the point of the passage, so if you go to the passage, um, you understand that that's not the point of the passage, but we see it anyway. And, and what we hear is the words of God, the Father. He says, I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And then in Psalm 68, starting in verse 4, um, David, he writes this. He says, sing praises to God and to his name. Sing loud praises to him who rides the clouds. His name is the Lord. Rejoice in his presence. Why? Why would you do that? Why would you sing this song? Why, why would you throw that party? And the reason why is because of what comes next in verse 5. It's because of who he is. And who is he? Verse 5, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. So, you guys, that's a beautiful picture of who God is for you and, and, and who God is for, for me But this whole idea of God as Father—that that that um, metaphor—it's rough. It's rough for a bunch of us. Like it—it's hard to make that work. And the reason why is because of the fathers who raised us, the fathers that we grew up with. That name in Isaiah chapter nine, the one—the one I read earlier, "Everlasting Father." um, If you—if you look literally at the Hebrew text, actually, it's left to right the Hebrew text, um, you, could, you could translate it forever father. That, that might even actually be a better description uh, or, or better like phrasing for this as opposed to everlasting father. It's like being an orphan and, and you're adopted into your forever family by your forever father. And that sounds pretty cool, right? I mean, like if you're an orphan, if you don't have a family, if you don't have a parent, and, and you get adopted into this forever family by a forever father. That, that sounds pretty cool. But who wants a forever father if that father is a bad dad? That's where it gets rough. I talk about my dad a lot because <laughs> he's had such a, such a huge impact in my life. My father, the one I grew up with, Man, he was trouble, trouble for me. He was a a rough influence in my life. And the reason why is because I was a massive disappointment to my dad. I was not what he was going for. He was hoping for someone else. And I know that because um, that's what he told me. And so I talk about him a lot, and, and as you get to know me, um, I won't stop. I'll, I'll continue to talk about him. And the reason why um, is because our relationship has had such huge impact on me. And it's helpful not to lose sight of that context. His disappointment, though, the, thing that, the reason I'm bringing this up is because his disappointment used to be such a huge barrier between me and my Heavenly Father. And so when I would pray to my heavenly Father, a lot of times in my head, I would just take my my the f- the face of my dad and superimpose it onto my heavenly Father, and that that didn't work for me. Like I had to grow through this. I I had to overcome this. So the truth is, um, none of us had perfect fathers, right? Uh, we all grew up in imperfect families, and some of our families, some of our fathers were wildly flawed. Um, the other truth is that none of us are perfect mothers and fathers. And so that means that imperfection is a part of of every earthly family. And so if Jesus is helping us return to our forever father, this is kind of a huge idea. I mean it can it can be just a like I said a massive barrier for most of us because many of us haven't yet drawn a line between our father in the flesh and our heavenly father. And, and that's what we need to do. You guys, we, um, we collect messages all the time. It's just a part of, of who we are. It's a, it's a function of, of being human. Um, and this has become literally one of the core guiding realities in my life. Um, from, the, from the moment our conscious thoughts came online, we've been collecting messages, and Jesus has a message that he wants us to believe about our forever father. And we get this message in maybe one of his most um, famous parables ever. It's a parable about a father and about a prodigal. And you've heard it a million times. And so I'm going to ask you to, to try and, and hear it kind of like for the first time today. And I want to read this to you, and I'm going to read it out of the message. Um, and, and in that paraphrase, it, it reads most like a story, okay? So this is coming from Luke chapter 15, um, starting in verse 11, And, and here it goes. Then he, Jesus, this is Jesus speaking, Jesus said, there was once a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, father, I want right now what's coming to me. So the father divided the property between them. It wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and left for a distant country. There, undisciplined and dissipated, dissipated basically means drunk or stoned. So there, undisciplined and stoned, uh, he wasted everything he had. After he had gone through all his money, there was a bad famine all through that country, and he began to hurt. He signed on with a citizen there who assigned him to his fields to slop the pigs. He was so hungry, he could have eaten the corn cobs and the pig slop, but no one would give him any. That brought him to his senses. He said, all those farmhands working for my father sit down to three meals a day, and here I am starving to death. I'm going to go back to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me on as a hired hand. He got right up, and he went home to his father. When he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His heart pounding, he ran out, embraced him, and kissed him. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. But the father wasn't listening. He was calling to the servants. Quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put the family ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then get a grain-fed heifer and roast it. We're going to feast. We're going to have a wonderful time. My son is here, given up for dead. And now alive, given up for lost and now found. And they began to have a wonderful time. All this time, his older son was out in the field. When the day's work was done, he came in. As he approached the house, he heard the music and the dancing. Calling over one of the houseboys, he asked what was going on. The houseboy told him, your brother has come home. Your father has ordered a feast, barbecued beef, because he has him home safe and sound. The older brother stalked off in an angry sulk and refused to join in. His father came out and tried to talk to him, but he wouldn't listen. The son said, Look how many years I've stayed here serving you, never giving you one moment of grief. But have you ever thrown a party for me and my friends? Then his son of yours, uh, then this son of yours, who has thrown away your money on horse, shows up and you go all out with the feast. His father said, son, you don't understand. You're with me all the time, and everything that is mine is yours. But this is a wonderful time, and we had to celebrate. This brother of yours is de- was dead, and he's alive. He was lost, and he's found. So you guys, what I just read to you, that story, this is one of Jesus' core messages about your forever father. And there are a couple of things, the, the, um, like w- when you read this story, there are different ways you can read it. Like you can read it looking through a lens of, of the different characters. If you look through the lens of the forever father, there are a couple of things that you see that the father is and a couple of things that you see the father isn't. Let me mention a few to you. Number one, the, the thing that you see is that the father, he's not indifferent about you. He's not too busy for you. He's not forgetful of you. The truth is you were created not to be ignored. You were created to be fully known and fully loved. In fact, when our world was just right, when our world was perfect, that's the way it was. You were fully known and fully loved. Genesis 2.25 says the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. And it might seem kind of weird that I would put that verse in here talking about the father but it's just a description of you when you are at your best. This is life when it's perfect, when we're fully known and fully loved. The opposite of fully known and fully loved is indifference. You don't have a forever father who is indifferent about you. The human heart actually withers under the severe neglect of indifference. Jesus shows us your forever father is not that. And the other thing that the father is not is that he's not angry. Did you notice that? Like he's not even angry with the, with the older brother. He's not only not angry, he's not even grumpy. There's a guy named Jack Miller. He um, is uh, the, the former founder of, of World Harvest Mission. Uh, it's called Surge. Some of you might know about Sonship. Um, I don't know if any of you have ever gone through that. But, but he's, the, he's the architect of, of that. And here's what he says about God being angry. It is false thinking that heaven is a free gift to us, but God is distant and angry with me the rest of my life. That's how many of us live. God is angry with me all the time and only angry, and I don't know what to do with that or how to change it other than to behave better. You guys, if you think that your forever father is is mostly angry with you or disappointed with you or grumpy, your only remedy is is to get away, is to create distance, is to separate from that father or to try a lot harder and, and perform better. But that's not what this father is like. It's not his dominant emotion about you. Rather, this father um, is scanning the horizon. This father is looking for his children. You know, an important detail in, in the story that um, it can be easy to miss, is that this father is actually a big shot. I mean, he's wealthy. He's describing uh, a wealthy life. He's got servants. He's got fancy robes. He's got jewelry. Um, he can even afford to set aside a calf to fatten it up. It's like it's literally like first century Wagyu beef. I mean, that's what they're that's what they're having for dinner. Um, you can't be a guy like him. And not be focused on all the details of running the empire. But that's not how this forever father is. What's he doing? What's he focused on? He's looking at the horizon. He's looking for his boy. He wants his son to return. And then the best thing happens. His son appears on the horizon. And the father throws a party. And so this father is celebrating the child who's come back to him. And the prodigal, as you know, he thinks he's going to get it. He thinks he's going to be punished or rejected by his dad, but that's not the most important thing to the father. This prodigal, he abandons his willful, self-serving, ego-driven aspirations, and he literally assumes that he has lost his place in the family. I no longer belong here. And so he rolls the dice, and he returns to his father, and he asks to become his father's, Misthios. A um, misthios. the way to the way the way to think about this is um, a misthios is like a ranch hand who sleeps in the bunkhouse. And so that's literally how they how they make their living. Like I do work here and, and I get paid by a place to live and food to eat. That's what this son is hoping for. But what does his father say? His father says, You don't get paid to work here. You're my boy and you're back and it's time to party. You guys, the bottom line, the big takeaway from this story that Jesus gives us here is that the the, the thing literally that Jesus wants you to collect is that the heart of the Father is to have you. The heart of this heavenly, this forever Father is to have you. You are what is most important to your forever Father. Your behavior is not most important your behavior matters. Don't get me wrong. Like if you follow Jesus, Jesus is going to want to um, transform your heart, and that's going to change your behavior. But your behavior is not the most important thing, and your history is not most important either. And that matters. Like the things that 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 happened in your life that that brought you to where you're at right now, it matters a ton. It's just not the most important thing. Restoring you to His family, it's what He wants most. He wants you. That's what he wants. Well, you guys, there's a um, there's a famous painting of this story, and that's why I mentioned that um, the uh, the web the the lyrics page online on the on the website. Um, if you want to go there, you can see a, a picture of, of this painting, um, and this this famous painting of this parable is by Rembrandt and and it's called The Return of the Prodigal. I knew nothing about this painting until two weeks ago I was having coffee with Ashley and Ashley mentioned that she had read this amazing book by Henry Nouwen and so I I left our meeting and I got on my phone and I ordered it and got it that night and then read it and and it's about this this painting. Um, So again if you want to see this painting and it kind of would be helpful um, there's a picture of it on the on the lyrics page um, this for, so, so let me just talk about this painting a little bit, okay? Um, this painting is huge. It's massive. Like when I first saw it, I thought, oh, it's like 30 by 20. You know, he had it on an easel, and you know, he held a palette, and he kind of painted it. No, it's like it's literally 8 feet tall and 6 feet wide. It won't fit in your house. Like it's, it's like this, this masterpiece mural that, that Rembrandt painted. And the most amazing thing to me about this painting is what Rembrandt does with the light. Now, having just said that, like it almost sounds like I know something about art. I really don't. I don't know anything about art. I don't know anything about paintings. I don't go to museums. Um, I just looked at this painting and 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 I saw what I saw. And th- it's amazing what what uh, what he does, what Rembrandt does with light. If you look at that that picture, the painting you'll see that it, it kind of looks like a dark room. That's all. It's just, it looks like they're, they're literally in a darkly lit room. In fact, it's so darkly lit, you might miss all the people in the painting. There are actually six people in that painting. I missed like three of them the first few times I looked at it. There's the father, the, the prodigal. The older brother is the one standing on the right, kind of elevated. There's a man sitting on a chair with his arms crossed, and there are actually two women behind everybody. I completely miss those women. But what Rembrandt does is he puts a spotlight on what he wants you to notice. And, and when you look at that picture, that painting, um, there are only two places that he casts light on this scene, and it's like a contrast. The first place is a small light. Imagine it's a light um, that, that's shining on um, the older brother's face. The older brother is the guy on the right. He's standing standing up tall um, and what we see is, is the brother's disapproving condescending face he's literally elevated above the father and the, and the prodigal and he's looking down on them and it's as if he what he's thinking is he's looking at this fool of his father and this degenerate brother but the second place Rembrandt he floods the father and the prodigal son in light it's what he wants you to see most and so what do you see when you look at that? Well, one thing you see, obviously, is the son. And this son, you, you see a boy who's been pummeled by the life that he chose to live. I mean, you can see the results of, of, of the last six months of his life in just the way he looks. And this boy is on his knees, and he's clinging to the loving father that he doesn't deserve, this loving father that he rejected not long ago. And this picture is surprisingly intimate because... The prodigal, he, he his face is turned to the right, and his cheek is pressed to the father's chest, and he can probably hear his father's heartbeat. I mean, if we just meet for the first time, we're not going to walk up and put our cheeks next to each other, right? It's an intimate act, and, and that's what we see. And then we see the father. The father is leaning over to embrace his son, and, it, and his posture is soft, and it's receiving. It's not like you know, crazy guy comes up and wants to hug you, and so you're, like, kind of stiff, and, you know, like, you don't want to receive the no. This father is, like, he, he's leaning over and, and, and drawing his son in. But we can't see his eyes because the father is looking down, and he's looking down on his dirty, beat-down, ragged son, and his hands are resting on this son that he loves. That's it. That's Rembrandt's painting. The prodigal son he ends up under the hands of his loving father. And so you guys, like I said earlier, we collect messages all the time. I don't know if you know that. That'd be a really important thing to to hold on to. We collect messages all the time. In fact, we're never not collecting messages. And those messages that we collect, what they do is they turn into our beliefs, Beliefs about ourselves, about God, about people, and about life in general. And then what we do is we live our lives based on those beliefs. So our hearts are literally ruled by what we believe. Whatever your heart believes, that determines how you live your life. And so the big question I have today, especially, you know, in light of our forever father, is what do you believe about fathers? And more importantly, what do you believe about your heavenly father, your forever father? I think it can be really hard uh, to climb under the loving hands of your forever father, especially if you don't believe a father's hands can be loving and caring. In Jesus' story, it it wasn't the father's plan that um, the son would ask for an advance on his inheritance and leave, but that's what he did. And yet this father never stopped loving his son. I think there's something prodigal in in every one of our hearts. I think there's something wayward about all of us. And it's easy to think that we know what we want. That we know what will finally satisfy our hearts and then run off after those things. That may be one of the easiest things that we do. And sometimes we run away from our forever father to find those things And what Jesus reveals to us is that if you are going to live under the loving hands of your forever father, you probably need to stop relying on other things for meaning and contentment and security. It might require that. I won't be happy until I get that promotion and earn that dollar amount. I won't be happy until I live in that cute neighborhood in that cute house I won't be happy until my kids sleep when they're supposed to sleep and do what I tell them to do. I won't be happy until I'm in the right relationship. I won't be happy until the ones who hurt me ask for forgiveness. I won't be happy until I'm wildly attractive. You guys, I don't think there's anything really wrong with any of that, necessarily. But they aren't what our hearts want most. Not knowing that turns us into prodigals. Well, what if you didn't run after those things? What if? What if you received Jesus' message, I am your forever father? And what if you believed in his goodness before you ran off after other options? You guys, one last thing about fathers and prodigals. Um, In case you don't know, God won't just put his hands on you. He won't do it. He won't force his caregiving and love on you. You have to go and and move toward him. What we've always needed most is a forever father who would look for us, run after us, receive us, and celebrate us. We just have to be willing to rest under the care of his loving hands. He won't push it on us. Um, I've, been doing, um, I've been doing a lot of writing the last two, two and a half years. I mean, a lot, a lot of writing. I, I'm just getting ready to send um, a book manuscript back to a publisher, um, literally working through all the edits that, that came back to me. Um, and I want to read something to you. And I'm going to call the worship team up where, wherever they're at. Because um, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap up with this. Um, so as the worship team, as Ruth comes back, <laughs> um, I, I want to read this to you, and and then we'll be done. Um, I, I when I wrote this, I I had this message in mind, this this message from Jesus. I had this story, this parable, in my mind. I don't state it explicitly in this, but it was what I was thinking about. And it's from a, 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 a part of my writing where the, the title is called Safety Restored, and it goes like this. The current version of our world is not what God was going for when he created the heavens and the earth. His plan included pure intimacy with his people. Out of that relationship, we were to enjoy a mysterious partnership with him that's hard to imagine something in part like a subregency. God created and then He handed over part of that creation to our care and supervision. He literally commanded us to thrive, fill the earth, and take charge. The perfect family, wildly fulfilling and creative work, the kind of stuff we dream of doing, love from a father captivated with his children, we lost all of that. We picked a different plan, our own plan, and broke the world. Can you even begin to imagine the horrific shock, the absolute terror that Adam and Eve must have felt when they realized what they had done, what they had given up, and what they got in return? At times I wonder if there was some kind of mad scramble to get a do-over. It makes sense to me in my flawed view that God would simply wash his hands of humanity and move on. In fact, why doesn't he? Why doesn't he just turn away from our know-it-all petulance and willful independence. For goodness sake, who do we think we are anyway? Why doesn't he give us what we chose in the garden? Life without him. I'll tell you why. Because love doesn't do that. Love scans the horizon. Love comes alongside. Love reaches out. Love retrieves. Love welcomes back. Love restores. So you guys, if if you're far from him today, like if you've kind of like run off on your own, what your forever father wants most is you. Let me just say that again. Collect that message today. He wants you. But if you're, if you're with him right now, if you're under his hands, he just wants to throw a party. I think you should let him. Jesus, we are so grateful to you. We're so grateful even for the way that you reveal yourself to us. Everlasting Father, who to have thunk? Forever Father in a forever family. For orphans and people who needed a family. That's what you gave us. And this season, we get to think about that and we get to receive that message and allow that message to become a belief. And then live our lives based on that belief. Thank you for that, Jesus. We needed it. We needed to hear that from you. And we love you, Jesus. We believe that you're good. And that we believe and we believe that you're our forever Father as well. That that's how you act toward us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.